Welcome back to USFL Daily here at 44.com. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, joined today by friend in life and more importantly, CEO of RunTheSims.com. It is none other than Justin Freeman. Justin, we are now officially 33% of the way through a 12-week season. What are some other takeaways you gathered for us through week four of USFL action? Well, first, John, I got to say that that theme song really gives me kind of hype, uh, kind of eye of the tiger feeling. I find myself naturally nodding my head, you know, bobbing my head back and forth like uh, Eminem before 8 Mile or whatever. Like, uh, so I'm feeling it. We're, we're in midseason form here. Uh, you know, I think we're kind of starting to figure out the league. Um, you know, th- there was obviously a lot of guessing that was going to be necessary and trying to assume where different workloads and things were going to go. I feel like we've really started to figure out what it's, um, you know, what, what to expect from each team. So we're stylistically, how do they want to play? Who do they want to force feed the ball to? And then we're also, what I've tried to find uh, myself spending a lot more time on this week is uh, defensively. Like we're starting to learn more about matchups as well and sort of how that fits into things. So you know, while we feel like we're, we're pretty certain on sort of who the starting rotations are on some of these teams, uh, we're learning about these defenses too as they take on different opponents, and um, we've got some, you know, some some defenses that have really showed up against the the run, and some t- defenses that have been terrible against the pass, and some that are allowing a lot of sacks, and so you know, there's a lot of different angles we can kind of start to dissect now. It's not just simply all about volume. You know, volume is going to be a big piece of this, um, but we can now maybe get a little bit second level with our analysis. And Last week, why I enjoy doing the show with you is because we had a lot of refute with one another. We batted ideas off one another, eventually came to the correct conclusions. You convinced me to play some Jordan Ellis in my onslaughts. I explained to you about the Houston, as you mentioned, defense, passing defense being the worst in the league. And we saw we saw uh, Kyle Sloter go for 397. Yes, it took one last play, but also that was a play they plotted out. And not just luck, since Jonathan Adams does tend to get those 50-50 balls. Um, there are still a few wonky things going on from week to week. Backfield usage outside of the guys I think we have pegged are legitimately the hardest things to to comprehend honestly weekly because the trend seems to be going one way and we can't talk to these coaches right they don't really give interviews to any media and so we think we have like a bj emmons cemented oh well like it's volatile we don't need to worry about it and then suddenly he becomes the workhorse and i understand that goes along with volatility but at the same time i would say the biggest takeaway i have through four weeks is that like you really can't trust any backfield because it could change for no good reason. Like legitimately, it just changes with the wind. Yeah, exactly. So um, you kind of hold in some degree of esteem these backfields that have shown a little bit of consistency. But I mean, even those you can't take super for granted. I mean, I think right now there's really only one really locked in running back across the league, and that is Jordan Ellis. And I think sort of everywhere else, um, we're trying to figure out the rest. I'd say maybe a close second might be Mark Thompson in Houston. But I mean, even a, a player like that, you know, we've kind of made that Derrick Henry comp where, you know, even though you may know it's Mark Thompson, it may not matter because he's going to have these games that are absolutely massive. And then he's going to have games like this past week where he gets absolutely, you know, p- put under a shell and he's, he's nowhere to be found and just bottled up because, I would make Clayton Thorson beat me over the top if I was choosing between him and Mark Thompson. And if I was a defensive coordinator, like, sure, uh, yeah, go beat me in the air. I'm not going to let Mark Thompson run roughshod. And that's basically what he's had a chance to do. But, I mean, uh, you know, we're still trying to figure out you know, what is motivating these coaches towards leaning in the ways they are. I think we're getting a little bit of glimpse into what the injury reports are signaling in some degree like i I think a questionable status an injury report in the usfl means a completely different thing uh than a questionable status in the nfl might mean um in other words i think it's it it may be caused to assume a lot more doubtful than questionable in many instances um so i think it's there's been some lessons learned there in terms of um, just pushing the pause button on anybody who pops up on the injury report and understanding that they may be a candidate to not get a single snap in the course of the game or an extremely, extremely uh, dumbed-down workload. I would also tell everyone, emphasize to everyone, that volatility is our friend in USFL DFS. I genuinely think for 
as poor as I think this sport is to watch, uh, I think USFL DFS is strengthening, like sharpening my DFS knives. Because usually in the NFL, it takes me a couple of weeks. I'm a better back end of the season player. Um, even like my ROI last year shows that because it takes me a little bit to get back into game theory mode. But like genuinely, I'm already accepting that I'm not going to play like the player that everyone else is playing. And so I'm just saying that risk is gone. Uh, I have to take on more risk. Where else do I go? I didn't play Johnny Dixon, for instance, last year, last week for New Orleans. And I understand that was injury, and thus that injury allowed Taiwan Taylor to come into the lineup. But at the same time, that's the risk we take on, especially in short four-game slates. And so, like, it's actually, like, I genuinely think it's making me a better DFS player. And almost, like, respecting the rest of the DFS, since even this week we have players that showed up and they're not going to be in the player pool. Like, they're going to have a role, and they're not going to be the player pool. So uh, we'll talk about that as we move along. I know you've been on top of this around the clock since the cuts have been happening as of Thursday morning, Wednesday overnight. And I do want to emphasize here at the beginning as well, before we jump in, runthesims.com. Remember the promo code 444. And I want to emphasize it, especially this week, because none of us would have been on Joe Horn if it was not for the Run the Sims Discord. Uh, legitimately, you, Justin, other subscribers watching Twitter clips and and sharing it in the Discord about who's in the lineup and practice. And that's the only reason, really, we knew that JoJo Ward was started in 11 personnel. We didn't expect him to run around every drop back, right? But we knew he was going to be the lineup, and more importantly, we knew he had a 50% target share in Week 1. And that's why we all played him in the Wildcat, which then led the Wildcat being filled. Three of the top five finishers in the Wildcat were run the, were run the Sims subscribers. I finished 23rd, run the Sims subscriber, and that's because that was my game stack. Joe Horn, run it back with an onslaught of New Orleans offense. So I just want to continue telling everyone 4 for 4 is the promo code to use to get 10% off, and everyone should be there because, for instance, let's say you're at your uh, girlfriend's parents' house and you can't watch the games and you can't look at the news. I'm telling you, jumping in the Discord literally won me money because of that. So everyone subscribe. This week, though, this week, though, Justin, is a is a different one, unique, because we do have a Friday night game. We have a showdown game, and we're going to talk about it as a showdown and a four-game slate. But then one Saturday game to discuss is a showdown, two Sunday games. DraftKings, of course, did the showdowns, but also they did a four-game slate beginning on Friday and a two-game slate on Sunday. There is no three-game slate. So we will address these accordingly, and we start with the Michigan Panthers at the Tampa Bay Bandits, I want to kick it to you first to tell us about if there are any significant injuries or releases that we may have missed. Yeah, so a, a couple big news items here for, for both of these teams. Um, we noticed on the Tampa Bay side that B.J. Emmons popped up on the injury report early. It was on the injury report Monday with a DNP, and that's always a little bit scary, especially in this league, to have a DNP didn't, did not practice at any point during the week. So Monday he didn't practice. He's listed as questionable heading into this game, and that looks like a, a perfect opportunity to play a guy that not many people are going to be on, especially in larger field tournaments, in Jawan Washington. There are only two running backs in this offense, and we've already seen Jawan Washington have at least one big game, even with a perfectly healthy B.J. And so uh, it's, it's a thigh injury. Um, that doesn't sound like the best place for a running back to have an injury. But, um, yeah, I think obviously we'll see Emmons suit up. They have nobody else to suit up. Um, but I, I think if you know, you're reading the tea leaves, there's a lot of good reason to think Juwan Washington could be a good play at, at depressed ownership. Uh, looking at the Michigan side of the ball, there was a pretty big, I guess you could call it a haymaker for USFL standards in the quarterback market where um, Josh Love was dropped from the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Maulers. Uh, the Pittsburgh Maulers picked up Bad Lee to be their backup quarterback or possibly starting quarterback at some point, but um, dropped Josh Love and Josh Love was uh, claimed on waivers by the Michigan Panthers, Jeff Fisher and company. Obviously, they have Paxton Lynch still on the shelf. He'll not play again this week, meaning it's going to be the Shea Patterson show. And I don't think Josh Love would factor into the equation here this week. Um, I, I suppose he could, but I'm you, you may want to check actually your, your DraftKings settings. I don't believe he would actually accrue points uh, for a new team. So either way, Josh Love's not in the picture. Shea Patterson should be your locked-in starter, but that's another quarterback situation for us to monitor here in the future. Uh, they're starting tight end, Marcus Ball. He's out this week. And so 
that's going to uh, be sort of a committee approach behind him. Um, you know, my favorite guy is Michael Petway. Uh, however, he is more of a perimeter tight end as opposed to sort of an inline blocker. Um, I think overall, it just kind of probably funnels more targets towards Lance Lenore and the concentrated uh, targets here in this offense. But other than that, everybody else looks like they should be ready to rock and roll here this week. You know, Panthers and Bandits, I think the Bandits have been pretty up and down so far this year. Um, we don't really know who the real Jordan Tiamu is uh, at this point. We, oh, we I think a, we know. I think, think so? still, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm still pretty sure we know. We know who Shea Patterson is. Oh, yeah. We know. For sure. Uh, well, give me your Tiamu take because I, I need one. We know they schemed six carries for him a couple weeks ago. But beyond that, we legitimately have have not had anything to have confidence in. And I don't even want to dunk on Tayamu because I, I think it's actually Todd Haley, who was a terrible play caller. Uh, and so I'm not really interested in Tayamu. If anything, I'm interested in Michigan's defense in this game. But that's for four-game slates. From a, from a showdown perspective, I still think we're fading Lance Lenore. I can tell you, though, how I get pissed off because, like, now, well, I hope people – hope like, I want everyone to listen to the show, but also everyone that has listened to the show has not played Lance Lenore in the last two weeks. We know better. The target share doesn't matter. I've said this time and time again. What's going to piss me off this week, though, is if Josh Love gets put in because he did average 6.8 yards per attempt those first two games. And what's going to happen is Shea Patterson is so bad, they put Josh Love in the second half, and then Lenore goes off. And so, like – Showdown, I'll tell you, I am willing to play Lenore. Uh, but for four game slates, I'm still not going to play him. I'm going to play the Michigan defense instead against Tiamu. And more importantly, I think we need to talk about the Tampa Bay backfield because what we saw was Reggie Corbin yet again go over 100 yards, started the game with a massive touchdown run. But what we also saw was a backfield low in running back snaps. They played three running backs. He played 36% of the snaps. Um, it's, it's the biggest... You know, in NFL, F, in NFL DFS, we do this where week one, we look over the numbers. A, a running back has like 15 carries and 100 yards. But then you see he played 36 snaps and it's like, oh, like that didn't matter at all. Of course, we fade that guy. Like Reggie Corbin, I know he's, I understand he's done it in back to back weeks now, but it's still a three headed backfield and he got lucky with the run run. So Reggie Corbin, I think, is a player very easily to be off of. And that's how I'm really handling this offense. Like, I'm not high on anyone, to be honest. I was really kind of uh, tilting pretty hard after Friday night of last week because Corbin has the monster game. I have, I have no Corbin. I, I thought there was really no reason to go back to him. I thought it wasn't, to be honest, there wasn't like, I think yeah. you were right. Remember it's the process as your wife leaves you <laughs> tell her it's the process. I lost all my money, but I had it figured out from the beginning. <laughs> exactly. So uh, yeah, like, but I mean, we do know Jeff Fisher wants to run the football probably because that's the only way they'll ever get a first down. Um, so um, I guess I could see why he wants to do that. But could Reggie Corbin be more in play this week? Perhaps. Like uh, if you think that sort of the natural progression for him is this sort of uh, continuing to progress in terms of rushing market share. I think that's viable. I think that's possible. But the fact that they do have three running backs healthy and active and going to play uh, – you know, you can't count on an ADR touchdown every week. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I think overall, like, as I'm trying to identify my core of running backs to build around, and that is how I want to build. I want to build around uh, stable, known production. Uh, it's probably no more than a sprinkle of Reggie Corbin. And, you know, mixing in some of the other guys actually could be a, a high leverage situation. Like Stevie Scott, a guy who's getting just as many opportunities uh, for the most part, across the board, like what if he's the guy who breaks the 80-yard touchdown run this week? You know, like they're they're blocking it up pretty well. Like I, I see them uh, creating holes, and Corbin's just been the guy who happens to have the ball in his hand when when the big play goes boom. So, um, yeah, they're not a team I'm super excited about. Like I, I'm always looking for more reasons to exit player out of the player pool than to add them back in. So uh, overall, like I, I don't consider any of these guys priorities. And like last week when you looked shocked when I told you I didn't like Paul Terry, for instance, um, I, I think this week, again, it comes down to not so much not liking the players going to get touches. To me, he's not going to get enough touches to compete with the other running backs we need to play in this slate. Like I think there are 
three strong, two especially, uh, running backs that we have to play in this slate. And so, like, I, I can't get there when Corbin has 13 touches to Scott's nine. Like, it's not enough. It's like Paul Terry has had 14 touches in back-to-back games. It's not enough. It doesn't do enough whenever Jordan Ellis is getting 20-plus, including all the running back targets without TJ Logan. So that's kind of where I'm at is that in my rankings, like, sure, in showdown, correlate them, uh, Michigan defense, Corbin, but also, like, I don't. In four-game slates, I just can't imagine playing him and ranking him over the others, at least overweight on him. Exactly. So it's like it, it – if the if the premise is that Reggie Corbin could break a long one, well, I mean, so could anybody if if you give him enough enough opportunities, and I'll chase volume over spark plays pretty much every time. So, so before we leave this game, we have to ask you, since you wrote the book on it, quite literally, what is your strategy? What are you going to be overweight on here for showdowns on Friday night primetime? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Shea Patterson sets up nicely for a pick six opportunity for the other team. So Always. I think mixing in uh, Bandit's defense makes a lot of sense. I think they could certainly have a big day and probably have a decent sack base floor to go along with that as well. Um, I actually think Shea Patterson himself is probably a really strong option, maybe not in your captain spot, but in a flex spot. Um, the way he does accumulate his points is – relatively high floor uh, in terms of how he gets there. Um, so, I mean, if you're looking for somebody to get you to double digits, I, I think you feel pretty confident in Shea Patterson. So I, I would definitely be leaning towards double quarterback builds. You know, the, the, the tournaments are so small at this point, you don't need the nuts to, to hit it here for showdown. So going with some more high floor strategies, like bandits D both quarterbacks, and then mixing and matching, you know, your remaining three roster spots with a mixture of running backs and receivers from each team. You know, I think you could obviously go with a you could go with a Lenore captain lineup. If he catches a touchdown, you're in there. Uh, you could go with um, a Juwan Washington captain lineup. I think those would probably be two of my top choices for the week. I have I've seen enough weird things and weird usage in USFL where I may I still may play Josh Love. Uh, no Shea Patterson. But Lenore and Josh Love, knowing the only way, literally the only way Lenore is successful is if Josh Love comes into the game. And so I think that correlates well for showdown. And I think that's the way to burn your money on Friday night to hopefully start your week off well. Yeah, not bad. And you, I mean, you don't have to go crazy with like 150 Josh Love lineup. Josh Love's going to be under 1%. Like yeah. you, me, and the people listening are the only people know and the Run Sims Discord that he's rostered there now. Yeah. So we can be okay with a couple lineups there. That's it. There you go. Moving on to Saturday, I think this is the game of the week. I think it's the game that requires the most time for us to talk about in the four-game slate, and that is the New Orleans Breakers at the New Jersey Generals. Go ahead and start us off with news for both sides. Yeah, as we look at uh, who was out for New Jersey last week, it was Jamon Moore and Cam Eccles-Looper, so no big deal there. Two receivers who we haven't seen a ton of so far this year anyway. Uh, for New Orleans last week, uh, third string running back, Anthony Jones and tight end EJ Bibbs. So nothing to write home about in terms of uh, huge playmakers. As we look at the actual this week's injury report, there were uh, three prominent New Orleans breakers to pop up. However, they've all looked like they've been practicing in full this week. Johnny Dixon with a hammy, Kyle Sloter with a groin, Sean Poindexter actually was limited um, in his most recent practice with an ankle injury. Um, and then on the general side, they do have a few guys that are that are banged up, including quarterback DeAndre Johnson. He was limited in practice today um, with a quad injury. Uh, Randy Satterfield, Darius Shepard, Brandon Bowman, or Braden Bowman uh, also included on that list. So you know, the receiving core is getting a little bit thin for New Jersey, and that kind of uh, helps us in a way to try to identify who the primary options are going to be. And we've seen Kevontae Turpin be a big part of how they want to try to move the ball around the field. Um, you know, we've seen him be involved on the end around game, quick screens, slants across the middle of the field. They just want to get the ball in the guy's hands. Like if there, I hate to even use comparisons for elite NFL players, but if there were a Tyreek Hill in this league, it's Kevontae Turpin in terms of like, how they want to use him. They just want to get him the ball, even if it's behind the line of scrimmage, and just say, go make plays, go do your thing. And uh, we've also seen Alonzo Moore be a big part of that passing game. He had a big game last week. 
Um, so yeah, I, I'm somewhat interested in those generals options. I think the breakers options speak for themselves at this point. Sal Canella, a guy who's leading the league in receiving yardage. He's just sort of steady Eddie out there. He's not breaking the slate one way or the other, like um, Jay Adams and uh, Johnny Dixon have done two of the or three of the last three weeks so far. Um, but overall, like uh, a pretty solid floor option for you there. You know, and I think obviously you know, Jordan Ellis play of the slate um, pretty much across the board here uh, as sort of your lock it in running back. It is very clear that they are not going away from Jordan Ellis after at least 22 touches in three consecutive games. Also, New Orleans offense is so easy to talk about because only one quarterback, Kyle Sloter, has thrown at least 40 attempts in any game, and he's done it in back-to-back weeks. This offense is very clearly the only one, as you mentioned last week, you weren't sure if we could onslaught an offense. New Orleans, we can't. That's the one we target here. So much so that I've even been tinkering with five breakers players, Ellis and then Sloter and three receivers. Uh, the question I have, though, like even when I see Canella, you already mentioned what he the, the categories he leads in, but also like I think about tight end, not sexy, right, for DFS, but he also had 127 air yards to tight end last week. He's basically a wide receiver. And so my question really is, and when trying to figure out who I onslaught the breakers with, what's well, a two-part question? Because one, do you think Dixon gets his job back if he's healthy, right? Does he run more routes than Taiwan Taylor? That matters because that's the ancillary player we can stack alongside Jonathan Adams and Canella. And two, do you think this, is, this slate is so small, USFL week so small, that you have to play Jordan Ellis or if I onslaught the breakers offense, do I try to soak up all the equity and touchdowns that way through the air and thus fade Jordan Ellis? Because I'm like, I'm back and forth. knowing Jordan Ellis is an amazing play and you can't fade him. But at the same time, like if he doesn't score a touchdown, what am I missing out on? So that's kind of where I'm at right now with the breakers offense. Yeah. So, I mean, one key thing here to separate this from sort of our traditional NFL DFS thought process in NFL, we're super conscientious about salaries and points per dollar. And, and here, it's simply not a factor at all. It's a pick them every so, week. It's not, that's not a bad thing, necessarily. Uh, I complained to you, I think, through DMs week two, saying like DK doesn't move anything up. But now I kind of appreciate having 6K on the table every single week. I think it's kind of <laughs> right, awesome yeah. that like but everyone's still trying to fill it. And they're like, I'm not trying to fill it whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. So, But it, it does change sort of what the risk reward trade-off looks like for fading any player uh, especially one that's getting the volume jordan ellis is getting like you could take a stab at him and like what if he whiffs what's he going to get you nine points or something like that you know like that's a horrible game from jordan ellis um at this point so and at that point that's probably the expectation for almost every other running back you know in the league at this you know like if you played Trey Williams and he got you nine, like that'd be the exact same thing, you know, and, and that wouldn't be a huge surprise for anyone. So uh, yeah, like I, I don't think there's as much upside on the fade unless you can really nail the pivot point. And, and I think sort of to your point there, um, you know, going heavy breakers passing, maybe that is the pivot point. Maybe it is just all the production comes in the air and, and now you're heavy on that. But even still, you know, you got to nail that, you know, four man stack or whatever it is you're going to try to put together there. Uh, I think I just feel more comfortable lock button Jordan Ellis. And, you know, the, the game is tough enough trying to avoid landmines as it is, like eat a little bit of chalk and that's okay. I'll just be heavier than the field. And, you know, if, if 50% of the field plays them, I'll take money from the other 50% that don't and uh, say thank you for your donation at the end of the day. And I mean, and even if it fails, like I still can make that up. He's the second game uh, of the slate. And so we still got two games after that. I'll have the information at that point to say, okay, uh, you know, Ellis flopped. I know I'm chasing 10 points here. Uh, let me swap out my, um, you know, my Devin Gray for somebody else lower down on the roster, you know, whoever that might be, you know, so just trying to mix things up a little bit, or maybe your Paul Terry has to come out of your lineup then at that point, or whoever it might be, just kind of considering the more points you feel like you're chasing, the more uh, risky your lineup should be. And 
again, last week I did not play Jordan Ellis. I stuck Jordan, uh, no, uh, Joe, uh, Horn. Um, who did I stick? Joe, Joe Horn. Horn. You keep saying Joe Horn. Getting everything mixed up. Uh, stuck Warden Jojo there. Ward. Stuck Jojo Warden there instead of Jordan Ellis. Thinking I get the game stack. But what I noticed, of course, everyone played Jordan Ellis. I, I, I know Jordan Ellis is a great play, but not enough people still were onslaughting with their running backs. Well, and again, you can really only onslaught one offense unless DeAndre Johnson gets all the touches. He's not getting all the touches. So uh, it's only the breakers right now. So that's why I think like every slate moving forward. It's like doesn't even need to be talked about. It's about how you play the Breakers offense. They are what everyone thinks the Stars are. They are the best offense by far in this league, and they will get their points and they will get their volume no matter what. It's just a matter of you picking them right. And so I can't tell everyone right now who I'm picking, but I'm telling you it's one of those like it's at least four of those five players, uh, and I'm not sure which ones yet. So that's the way I'm going to handle it. On the other side, Point Dexter being a little banged up, that's definitely something for us to keep our eye on. If he were to miss or – or, um, you know, just be out of this game or even just be popped up on the, as a questionable. Uh, that could go ahead and limit your three-wide set there for New Orleans down to Johnny Dixon, um, to Jay Adams, and uh, to Taewon Taylor. So if, if you knew that going in, that you could expect a pretty tight rotation, that really uh, That's makes sexy. things really pretty. Yeah. That's really sexy. Uh, on the other side of the ball, though, also – Lots of stuff happened because I'm not sure why, as Tube Sox noted, who watches this every single week and is still a funny name, Trey got demoted. Trey Williams, he means, of course. Um, I'm not sure. Wait, is that the wrong game? That's New Jersey, right? Yeah, no, this is the game we're, we're on. But, but no, uh, Trey Williams not demoted. But not, he – Not now. No, not that I know of, at least. Right, but his touch share – went down significantly, and just the fact that we talked about it last week, a season high, 59% of the backfield touches, 23, and then got out-touched by Darius Victor, 8-13. to 13. So do we have any clue why this happened, or is this the volatile situation I get upset about um, with no explanation? Yeah, I think it's just maybe when the scripts go certain ways, uh, it's going to benefit different players. And what was most concerning was like the lack of, uh, targets out of the backfield and the fact that he was not uh, I mean he barely ran more routes than Darius Victor did I and mean, we saw just a tiny the tiniest of slivers of usage for Pete Guerrero the third running back in this offense but you know overall uh, this could be tough to to decipher week in week out I would have told you Trey Williams had a higher floor than what he just showed uh, this past week based on his passing game usage but uh, just goes to show like if the matchup's bad or if the script gets a certain way um, you know, Trey Williams obviously going to be primarily a um, what I consider a money down running back, you know, coming in on third downs and, and whatever um, key situations are needed. But Darius Victor is gobbling up a lot of end zone opportunities, a lot of red zone work. He's involved at the goal line. Like you're not going to see Trey Williams punch it in from two yards out. It's just not going to happen. Um, they, they love their bowling ball, you know, back there in New Jersey. And that's Darius Victor. Um, so th- I think you just it really increases the range of outcomes for both of these players. Like they both can have truly horrible games or they could both have um, big time games, you know, Victor through touchdown efficiency, Trey Williams through pass game efficiency. I just would have thought it would have been a lot more consistent than that uh, heading in the last week. Maybe it's a situation we void altogether. Then I have to think about it a little more, but you know, he really scores touchdowns on the ground in that offense though is Deandre Johnson. Like he's the guy who can really uh, get things moving as the quarterback, you know, the running quarterback in that offense. Um, you know, he's a guy who can steal a lot of the sort of cheap, easy points that Trey Williams would ordinarily um, take on. And we're starting to see DeAndre Johnson become a more stable part of this offense. The snap share has increased each and every week uh, throughout the course of the season. He was up to a 70-30 split over Luis Perez uh, this past week. And I think it's just a matter of time before that either – uh, slowly morphs to 80-20, 90-10, or whether they just pull the Band-Aid off and say DeAndre Johnson's our guy. A little bit concerning that he's on the injury report, so maybe this isn't the week that he gets all the way there. Um, but he's a guy I've been sprinkling a little bit of exposure to in my uh, 150 set. So that's the question. Viability in both four-game slates and three-game slates. Where are you at with that, given that, as you mentioned, season high in snaps for DeAndre in a game that Perez played, season low in snaps for Perez – in a game that he played. Also, though, 
offensive to open up with a touchdown. The defense, everyone says the play broke. The play didn't break. The defense had to account for DeAndre Johnson running on a play action, and then the wide receiver broke free. And Perez obviously doesn't bring that at all. So I just keep going back to the fact we saw him play four drives consecutively to end the game two weeks ago. The fact that he opened the game yet again with a long touchdown and still split snaps. It's almost like they are trying, like they feel bad for moving on for Perez, even though there's very clearly a much better player under center. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a matter of time. It's going to happen one way or the other. Um, and Three I, game I, slates, like he's live. I think he's yeah. very live because uh, you know everyone's going to play Sloter. At this point, we're not sure whether we're getting a three-gamer or a two-gamer, right? It's uh, I checked DraftKings literally an hour before this, and we got a three-game. Oh, yeah, it's a two-gamer. Two-gamer, Sunday only. So we don't have to worry about uh, this game. Oh, this is Showdown. You got to play DeAndre yep. and Showdown. You got to play. Yep, yep, got to. Uh, okay, moving on to Sunday. This will take part in the two-game slate Sunday afternoon. It is none other than... Birmingham Stallions at the Philadelphia Stars. What a four injury news on both sides. Yep. So um, Jamar Smith and Alex Magoo was the big question mark heading into last week. And uh, the Run the Sims Discord was really trying to dissect what was going on there at the very last minute at crunch time because we had uh, Jamar projected in as starter pretty much the entire time. And then all of a sudden we start getting these rumblings coming out of Birmingham that maybe Magoo's the guy, and it turned out to be the case. We talked about we, it on the show. We we said Magoo started week one. Be careful. Yep, and then uh, the, the <laughs> it was crazy. The, the first play of the game, Magoo comes in and runs for a big one and uh, and hurts his ankle again. And we're like, and he starts hobbling over, and you see him shaking his head like, I don't know if I can do this or not. And he's, he's stuck it out and played the whole game. Um, in the post-game presser, he said, I heard a pop and I felt it. And um, they asked it, They asked him immediately, do you think you'll be able to play in week five? And he said, we'll see. So we will see indeed. He is not uh, surprisingly listed on the injury report this week. You know who is though is Jamar Smith. He's still listed on the injury report with an illness as is Kerry Angeli, the starting tight end for this offense. Bobby Holly as well, the fullback. So, um, yeah, what will they do this week? I, I think Jamar and Angeline are technically on the injury report with like COVID protocol type stuff. I'm guessing. So I, I'm guessing they're okay and can and are good to go. They're out there with the team. But yeah, like I, I saw the comment pop up right then that uh, Magoo take the offense. It's kind of hard to deny that the wind sort of flew right out of the sails. Um, I, I like Magoo's style. I think he's. Um, I, I think he gives a spark on the ground that. Uh, for one reason or another, people are hesitant to uh, assign to him, you know, but I think I think he's a solid player, but his his accuracy issues are, or maybe even its decision making issues uh, takes a lot of unnecessary sacks, I think, um, and, and does kind of stall the offense and slow it down a little bit. So my problem, and I've been pretty good at assessing this. So it was my mistake last week. I did play Marable everywhere, noting his touch share, and he got that again. He's now handled at least 72% of the backfield touches in back-to-back weeks. The issue is that he's not good. Uh, he can't <laughs> explode for any runs whatsoever. And like I said, I've been very good at assessing this for everyone to make sure they don't play bad players, even though they're getting opportunities because opportunities don't matter in this league. Like you still have to be opportunities from other good players. And so Marable, I am practically out on despite the fact he's handled at least 16 touches in three consecutive games. Um you know, if you have an option in this backfield, that's who you play since Tony Brook James has gone away altogether. But yes, as Tube Sox and you noted, Magoo practically tanked the offense, unfortunately. So that's where I'm at. And we've buried the lead here, Daigle. The big signing of the week, Bo Scarborough is now a Birmingham Stallion. So he will join this stable of stallions, if you will. Uh, to compete for some backfield touches. There's some question marks around what exactly his role will be. The team did release Jordan Chun, who is essentially the de facto fullback in this offense. Uh, I don't think Bo Scarborough is playing fullback. I think he came here to touch the rock and go um, go nuclear. And so I don't know whether that will happen this week, but the matchup is juicy for uh, this offense. This is going up against a uh, Philadelphia Stars defense that is the worst 
in the league in terms of uh, rushing yards per carry allowed. 5.46 yards per carry allowed by the Philadelphia Stars defense. So if you were looking for an excuse to go back to the Maribel well, i got to tell you I'm giving you a green light this week. I, I did see the notes that the coach was asked if Scarborough will play, and he responded he'll play. So, like, we expect Scarborough to have a role. That's my worry. Uh, and, again, we've seen that backfields in the USFL are the most finicky position to, like, target. And so, like, I, I think I'm off this week personally, knowing that Scarborough's going to mix in. Gotcha. I think that's Showdown. Not- sorry to cut you off. Showdown, I'm in. Like, absolutely, 100%, I'm going to have all of Scarborough. But, like, uh, bearable and four-game slates, it's not cute enough. You don't need to have Scarborough for four-game slates. But, like, bearable and four-game slates, it, it, it's enough – Thinking that Scarborough's going to get three to five touches, that's more than enough to tank Maribel's ceiling. I got some bad news, Dale. What's up? Scarborough is not in the player pool for either the four gamer or not the, the showdown. showdown? Not the showdown slate either. I thought he was in the showdown. Okay, that's my mistake. Ah, killing us, Jackings. Tighten up now. I knew he wasn't in the four game, but I thought he was in the showdown since they added it later. I guess yeah. not. Well, I just check, and uh, that's that's a bit of a letdown. But uh, guess what? The ghost of Scarborough is going to haunt Maribel, and we're not going to play him in four game slates. So that's where I'm at right now. But but Justin uh, Victor Bolden has run a route on every single drop back this year for the Stallions. He has not come out the field. Um, his ceiling is limited, but when you're out there every single time with a competent former NFL quarterback, not Shea Patterson, Alex Magoo was a backup for the Seahawks. In that case, I will take the chance on the six for 70 every single week. I'm fine playing him. Uh, the guy really doesn't catch a ton of balls for how many targets he gets, does he? 23 receptions on 43 targets so far this he, year. He leads the league in receiving, and it doesn't even matter. It is literally strictly because he doesn't come off the field. That's it. 215 receiving yards. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's weird. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't pop off as being this big uh, – Big play threat, right? Like and almost every target he has seems to come shy of the sticks. It's, it's, uh, I would, he's a possession receiver that doesn't possess it very well. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not super excited about him. He's a guy who I definitely try to make sure I feel much more worried about, um, fading the wrong receivers than I do about fading the wrong running backs. Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I feel like I know the player pool at the running back position. So I will have some Victor Bolden in my, um, in my mix there, but uh, not a guy who I wanted to match the field. I think last week, uh, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around 50% ownership in the large field tournaments on Victor Bolden. Which it, it's because of the opportunity, but uh, yeah. let let the breakers game decide that for you. Uh, let's see which receiver goes off for those two offenses that we know are the most potent in this league. And then if it's one of the lower roster ones, no big deal. You can still play Bolden. If it's one of the higher roster runs, you probably got to get off the chop because everyone plays Bolden again for the floor because 11 points is good in DFS at the receiver position. But yes, I, I genuinely don't mind fading him, but I also don't think the points are a bad thing to take, depending on what you have. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Just Philadelphia, on how you have Yeah, Philadelphia's offense, though. Case Cookus, where are you at right now, knowing that they are still going to drop back and allow him to pass? Uh, to me, it's a tough evaluation. Like I wish I was more of a film guy to say like, uh, what he's doing differently than Brian Scott. Uh, in many ways, it seems like he's a bit more aggressive than Brian Scott was. And, um, but it's not really translating into points for them as much as I'd like to see. I want to be, see them be a bit more explosive. Um, I think they'll get there. I'm willing to keep riding back with case cookies. He'll be a big part of, uh, how I'm building this week. Stallions defense, pretty tough matchup though. They've played pretty well across the board. Um, This team will be without, well, excuse me, I should say, they'll they'll be without Brian Scott almost certainly, but um, Darnell Holland is on the injury report once again. So uh, if he misses, we're once again, be talking about the Paul Terry show in the, in the backfield there. Uh, And Brennan Eagles limited this week in practice. He's not played so far this year anyway. Um, So, but yeah, the, the receiving core is starting to get healthier um, we're, and we're really seeing it start to come into form as well. It looks like Devin Gray, DeAndre Overton, and Jordan Sewell, that's pretty much their three-wide set. It, and it's weird because Chris Rowland and Maurice Alexander were their big stars week one and week two, respectively. Um, and, and they've not been a part of the offense in consecutive weeks pretty much at all. Like I don't think they've tar- 
uh, top 30% of the routes run. So yeah, it's, it's starting to um, slim down a little bit. Bug Howard uh, on the um, inside and outside is the sort of split end. And so, uh, yeah, I think I, I'm willing to go back to the cook as well again. We also saw Colburn pop up for his second highest route rate of the season, which also brought Terry down to 56%. Note that he ran a route on 79% of dropbacks in his failure of a week three. And so, you know, if you want to play Terry, it's fine, whatever, but I can tell you I probably won't be playing him. So I, I still think it's more of a timeshare than people perceive. There are just not enough running back touches to go around to begin with, even as catches knowing that other running backs are going to get 20-plus touches and also get at least three to five targets. So that's where I'm at right now. I'm going to have a hard time quitting my guy, Paul Terry. I'll just That's fine. That. That's okay. Uh, <laughs> hey, I, I, I think it's a much better week than last week, knowing that we had three strong running backs to play. Um, and that's with Trey Williams, like, for no good reason getting demoted. No good reason whatsoever. Game script didn't make sense. I still can't believe he wasn't out there every single down. Uh, but, yeah, Paul Terry, much better position than last week. And, I mean, do you have a preferred Stars receiver at this point? I think there's a little bit of Devin Gray, Case Cookus uh, preference narrative going on there in terms of uh, who Case Cookus's favorite receiver might be. Uh, I think Devin Gray is the better player. They did let Bug Howard run significantly more routes this week. Like, they stuck him in as practically their every down tight end, which is super interesting because I, does, I do think he has the athleticism as an every down, as long as he's an every down player to get there as well. And so, like, if he's the ancillary option that everyone forgets about, I, I do love making sure that Bug Howard's in my double or triple stacks with Case Cookets if I play him. Yeah, I think I've got Bug Howard locked in as my uh, number one receiver for Philly right now in terms good, of projected good. target good share call. by a 2% uh, clip. Uh, just edging out Devin Gray and just edging out Jordan Sewell, then a bigger drop off down to uh, DeAndre Overton. And I would play Bug Howard in both four and three game slates. Moving on to the finale, though, which stands alone by itself on Sunday night. The Pittsburgh Maulers, the worst offense in the entire league, at the Houston Gamblers. Any news and notes here, Justin? Yeah, so we saw Mark Thompson, a lot of uh, question marks popping up around him heading into last week. Uh, missed a lot of practice, missed all practice, I think, actually, with COVID uh, protocol situation. Um, it's not been super clear how the league is handling uh, COVID outbreaks. Um, but three people on that team, Mark Thompson, Julian Allen, Dalen Dawkins, I think they'll all play this week, or at least they'll all be available. I don't know whether Dalen Dawkins will play. They may want to give Devil Whaley another crack at uh trying to get his snaps in but this is mark thompson's backfield you know that they're going to rock and roll with him on the pittsburgh side of the ball it looks like delvon hardway's in um real um consideration for missing this game he popped up with the dnp today with a concussion so uh th that kind of limits things we're still trying to figure out who exactly is going to suit up because uh on the pittsburgh side last week uh, Bailey Gaither and Jeff Thomas were both placed on the inactive list due to uh, illness. And so um, it, we're assuming they'll probably be back this week. And uh, the team I believe really... I've seen before we went live, I'm pretty sure Bailey Gaither is back. Like okay. we're just assuming, but I think I saw news that he is back. It would make sense that he's back because he's not on the injury report at all this week. And um, I think he would be if he was still dealing with that. So yeah, I've got them projected in for right now. And uh, I think the big question mark on the Pittsburgh side comes down to who is the wide receiver one? Is it Bailey Gaither or is it Trey Walker? Saw just an absolutely insane uh, target share for Trey Walker last week. Let's see, what was it? 53.1% of the team's targets went to Trey Walker. It was, it was ridiculous. But we're talking about Kyle Loletta probably getting another crack at it. Uh, they just signed Vad Lee at quarterback. I uh, doubt he'd be ready to step in right away. Perhaps there's a chance, maybe a small package or something like that. And um, yeah, we'll be interested to see what, what works out there. Do you have a take on who the wide receiver one of Pittsburgh is? Pittsburgh, honestly, not really, just because I've, I've avoided this offense so much, uh, thinking that no one was going to get there. And what's funny is that like Garrett Groshek the past couple of weeks has actually emerged as an every down option and I'm not sure it even matters, honestly. Like, I keep thinking, like, am I going to play this 20-touch guy who continues running more routes? We talked about last week, Mikey Daniel, their fullback, which seems like a joke, but, like, him being out as their pass-catching option, like, 
They threw Go- Groshik in there for a season high, 63% of routes last week. And so, like, he's in there. He's not coming off the field. And again, I'm not sure it matters. So, uh, I don't know. I, I would say Gaither, if only because he did run a route on 87% of dropbacks in weeks one and two. But, yeah, I'm not sure really. Uh, if I told if you told me to guess, though, especially because he was out last week and we could probably get him at low ownership, I think I played Gaither out of all of them. Yeah, it's it's one of those if you know which way everyone's zigging, you just zag the other way. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, Trey Walker, while he did get a ton of targets, he didn't catch uh, all of them either. I want to say he got 16 targets and caught nine or something like that. So, I mean, nothing phenomenal. Uh, obviously, we'll all take nine catches from a wide receiver uh, 10 days out of 10. But, um, yeah, I, it'll be interesting. If there's a narrative to go along with sort of – I like chasing the quarterback preference narrative. You know, could Kyle, Kyle Aletta have a soft spot for Trey Walker and enjoy the rapport that they share together? I think that's possible, but I think you could also see um, Bailey Gaither coming back and really dinging the routes run for Trey Walker and knocking him down a little bit. Uh, Last week, Trey Walker and Brandon Mack both ran 100% of the team's routes. We're also talking about likely Jeff Thomas is back again this week. He's not a huge player in this offense, but just enough to continue dinging target shares and dinging routes run, um, which is not what we're looking for. We're talking about trying to find one solidified option in a run first offense. It's it, it clearly matters because everyone's going to chase Trey Walker 17 targets, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So we have to figure out does that dip or is there rapport there? Um, and I guess I would have to say I'm going to fade that situation right now, but I could be wrong. I don't yeah, know. Question I, you I, asked. I think- yeah, I think the reason you play him is not all that different than why you'd play Victor Bolden. Um, you're, you're really just trying to get your hands on as much volume at the receiver position as you can. Um, and you, I, I don't know, like, I mean, maybe Kyle Laletta's not as talented as Alex Magoo or J.M.R. Smith. I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But, uh, man, Gaither seems like a really good play. Like I think Gaither's, an, given that everyone's going to chase Walker, I think Gaither's an amazing play. And because Gaither did just burn everybody the last time he suited up, you know, two weeks ago, um, he was active, quote unquote, uh, and a lot of people played him thinking he would play, and he he literally sat on the sideline the entire time. He had a 25% target share those first two games. Like, Gaither soaks up targets too, so I think it's worth taking a chance if you're going that direction over Trey Walker, for sure. Um, On the other side of the ball, though, we also know it's a good situation because – the gamblers will likely be in a favorable game script, and we know they want to run the ball. And so we have to have the Mark Thompson discussion again because Devall Whaley was involved, and you could talk me off of Thompson, actually. He was in my initial lineup, and you explained why his floor is lower than we perceive, and I got off of him. That's what happened because he doesn't get targets. So like these carries that he's leading the backfield with don't matter at all. And so where do you stand with the gamblers' backfield right now? Uh, I'm willing to uh, go really heavy on Mark Thompson this week. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, but, and the reason is because the matchup and they're projected to win this game. Uh, they should have a lead throughout. They'll ride heavily on the guy who uh, does pick up these, this you know short down yardage for them. Um, I think Mark Thompson will be heavily involved and yeah, I, I think the volumes there is coming off a dip. So that'll cool off ownership just a little bit. Uh, there's always so many viable running backs to even think about playing in the first place. And um, I think this is a week to bounce back with Mark Thompson. Um, We saw that even this week where he came off a week where he had not practiced once comes in and handles 70% of the team's rushing attempts, you know, and um, they're going to give the guy the rock played 67% of the team snaps matched exactly what he's basically done for each of the last two weeks as well. He's the one A big time uh, alpha back in this offense. You know, heading into last week, would have told you he's the best looking running back in the league. Um, he looks the part. Uh, I'm willing to go back there. Modest usage in the uh, passing game, though. Like it's uh, only 29% of the routes run last week, 28% the week before. The floor scary. The floor scary. There's no doubt. Um, but the ceiling is absolutely massive. If you believe the matchup is good, I'm definitely willing to do it especially since Pittsburgh has allowed uh, in the past two weeks 245 and 113 rushing yards. So there is a reason to play them there. Um, Justin, with that, though, that's four games. Any other 
final thoughts before we get out of here to close the three game slate, any direction you're leaning on heavily with that one? Yeah, I think maybe just sort of big picture here. I was telling the the group this morning, like I'm kind of trying to solidify my strategy on just generally speaking, how I want to build, how I want to approach the game. And it's primarily uh, a three running back system. That's I'm, I'm almost forcing that in every lineup. And, uh, you may notice I got off of it last week because I needed to insert a little leverage in my lineup throughout the course of the day. And, and you do allow yourself that opportunity. But I, I want three running backs. That leaves me two receivers. I want one of those stacked up with my quarterbacks. I'm keeping my stacks super skinny. Um, and I'm not forcing um, any correlation on the on the bring back. I'm just trying to jam in good plays. And so I've got three running backs uh, from a pretty small pool of running backs. I've got a quarterback with a uh, pass catcher from his same team. And then I basically have one wild card uh, wide receiver to go along with that as well. And then sprinkling in a bunch of defenses. And that's pretty much how I'm approaching the game. I'm making all of my lineup sort of with that set of rules uh, in play. I'm not banking on going ham on any one particular offense. I'm just trying to get the highest scoring producer from that offense if I can help it. I think a New Orleans situation is interesting and useful because in that situation, I can lock in Jordan Ellis and get Kyle Sloter and his primary pass catcher. Matter of fact, that's what I did last week. Just so happened to have a winning you know ticket from that one. Um, you know, mixed in Kyle Sloter with Jonathan Adams and Jordan Ellis, so got that little um, correlation going. So that was good, and uh, that, that's sort of just generally my approach. And I will continue to emphasize to be in the Run the Sims Discord before kickoff where it's not even you, Justin, sometimes. Everyone in the chat is telling you who to play because they spotted someone in practice in the starting lineup. It's absolutely insane. But it still got us there in the Wildcat last week. So nonetheless, we will be back to our normal scheduled time next week, Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern. But until then, good luck this week. We'll see you next time.